Um, and I will be carrying on our series looking at the values that we hold as regions beyond, which is the family of churches that we belong to. So today, I will be sharing about the value intentional about diversity. And it goes like this. It says, we work hard to break down every division and bring together those who are separated by age, ethnicity, language, culture, economic status, disability, class, education, and gender. In this way, we display God's new humanity in Christ. So diversity means difference in so many different ways, and it includes our experiences, it includes our perspectives and family life. So I thought I'd start by telling you a little bit about, about myself. Um, as you can tell, I am not originally from Hull. Um, I was born in the UK um, and spent most of my life in London, and my mum raised me as a single parent, and I'm her only child. That's me and my mummy. There, that was um, earlier on this year when she visited us in, visited us in Hull. Um, I'm from West African descent. Um, so um, my mom is from Sierra Leone, and my dad is from Nigeria. And they met whilst studying here in the UK in the early 70s, and then I came along a little bit later. Um, and this is my family. Um, some of you might recognize um, Daniel and Alethea. So Daniel looks, is quite tall, looks a bit like a rugby player, but he's not. And, um, and you might have seen my little girl, Alethea, who loves to dance and sing. Um, this is us on a recent holiday. We just took a very impromptu last-minute holiday to the Netherlands. It was just, you know, just last minute. And we went to Rotterdam and Amsterdam. And, Amsterdam. and um, I was really pleasantly surprised by the vibrancy and the diversity whilst I was there. And so I would really recommend a visit. And if you can bear a 15-hour ferry journey overnight, go for it. It's really good. Um, <laughs> But in the six years we have been here in Hull, um, we've seen, I'm sure as you probably have seen, um, Hull change. It's changed both physically, we've got great new pavements and road layouts, it's beautiful, but also culturally um, we've seen Hull change. Um, it's much more diverse of a place um, as people from all over the world and all over the UK um, come and settle in the city. And this increase in diversity is reflected in our church as well. So living in, living in a cross-cultural way is important, and it's necessary. And it's not just for the select few, it's for all of us. So, and that's why um, being intentional about diversity is one of the values that we hold. And one of the things that I noticed when I, came, when I first came to Jubilee was the warmth and the welcome that we received. And it's one of the things that I've noticed that lots of people say when they come to Jubilee. And I believe it's evident when we look out at the diversity of people who come here during the week and on a Sunday, we see that, that warmth and that welcome. And thankfully, many embrace diversity. And increasingly, however, it is being treated as something to be feared or prejudged, or despised even. And the world system use it, seeks to use diversity to divide, but in Christ, it's about unity and oneness, because diversity is actually God's design. See, God's glory is reflected in the wonder and the beauty of the diversity that he created. 
You know, last week I sat at the back and I looked out at the church and looked at you all. And I was thinking just how wonderfully different we are. I was looking at the different face shapes, the different skin pigmentation, the social backgrounds we have here, the hairstyles, the accents, the cultures and ethnicities, all united in worshipping God together as one. You can take a little look around you, it's okay. You can have a little look around. Just have a little look around, it's okay. You can, we, we can look at each other, it's all right. You see, so I just hope that in looking around and seeing that you too will um, know the diversity is God's design for his glory. I want you to get a sense of that this morning. So in Acts 17, 26, Paul affirms the unity of the human race. He says, And he made from one blood every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. You see, there is only one race the human race. And within the human race, there are different ethnicities, cultures, and social backgrounds, and he created us all in his own image. Because of sin and ignorance and pride, people have been and continue to be treated differently because of their social standing, their gender, their cultural background, or ethnicity. And this has led to poverty, segregation, and injustice. The world wants to highlight and provoke difference in a way that promotes exclusivity and division. We see it all day, every day, through the news, through social media, and even in our politics. The world wants to build walls and protect self-interest. But as, but as the church, we seek to break down the barriers of injustice and welcome those of all backgrounds. And this is why we, as Regions Beyond, are intentional about diversity. It's not because we want to be fashionable. It's because it's just biblical. It's God's truth. So I'm going to share four points to help us embrace God's heart for for extending the diversity of his church. And my first point is this. It's about God's heart for unity and diversity. So the church, which is the body of Christ, is the diverse body of believers who have been joined to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 puts it like this. It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You see, there is unity of the body of Christ because of the diversity of it. It's totally counter-cultural to the world's approach. Our unity is expressed and celebrated through our diversity. So because we are part of one body, we can't be independent of each other. This would be like removing our hand and expecting it to operate independently of the body. It is in Christ that we are united. His work on the cross tore down divisions and walls between different people, different people groups, so that we can all be one. And even though our unity in diversity displays the glory of God, The primary glory of what unites us is our Christ-like humanity. This makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. The Holy Spirit is our common DNA. God didn't say, I'm building a white church, I'm building a rich church, I'm building a black church, or I'm building a poor church. We are his church. The world and even some in the wider church seek to establish and perpetuate divisions, but God 
intended his church to be made of all types of people from every kind of place and united as one. Jesus' final command to his disciples makes this intention very clear. In Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word nations here is translated in Greek as ethnos. So God intended that humanity he created from every tribe, every social class, every ethnicity, hear the gospel and become followers of Jesus. And that means God intends intends people from everywhere and every background to be joined to Christ, including people from Pakistan, Iran, Poland, Congo, North Korea, Russia, right here in Hull. In our shared humanity, we have all fallen short and we all need Jesus. And then, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, God shares with us a wonderful picture of the final gathering of God's people. In Revelation 7, 9 to 10, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a picture. So those who seek to stoke division or who reject people because of differences need to understand what heaven will actually be like because it will be an eternity of unity in diversity. That's what heaven is going to look like. And this leads to my second point. Become intentional about diversity. Becoming intentional means reflecting on our hearts, our motives and behaviours in the light of God's heart and his truth. How many of you have had a sat-nav? Something that looks like this. Yeah, yeah a few of you have had a sat-nav. So, you know, you know like me, when, when new roads are built, if you haven't uploaded your new maps, your sat-nav sends you around in circles. You go around the houses, don't you? Around and around, your sat-nav is confused, you're confused, there's just confusion. It sends you down random roads. You end up just going round and round. Anyone experience this, or is it just me? Just, just, yeah. Okay, good. So, it can't show you the right way if it hasn't got the right maps uploaded, can it? So it means spending some money to buy some new maps. We have to upload new maps. And likewise, our hearts and minds are similar. We need God's truth uploaded to navigate living our lives as Christians. Romans 12, 1-4, puts it like this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The gateway to our heart is our mind. And we're told to let God transform it. 
because disunity and division, however subtle, always begins in the mind. That word, transform, it comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. And it's the word that is used when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. You might have remembered that from school. It completely transforms. And this is what happens to us as we cooperate with God. As he renews our mind, we find that the decisions and the steps that we make about our relationships will be influenced by the Holy Spirit and not our own comforts. And this applies to all of us. Now, I know it's comfortable to spend time with people who are similar to us or the same as us. We, we naturally gravitate towards people who are similar. We do. And if we really search our hearts, we may find that subconsciously, we have barriers and thought processes up in place that stop us from reaching out to people who are different from us. It could be discomfort or fear or just the effort that is involved. And this is why we need to be intentional, because without it, there's a temptation to fall into comfortable sameness. So if we are to be a people who are intentional about diversity, we have to change. Our thinking and our behavior needs to be in line with God's heart. And some of us may have had past hurts and experiences that make us want to put up barriers to people who are different. And some of us might have very real grievances about the way you've been treated or perceived because you are different. Consciously or unconsciously, some of us may have prejudged people who are different to us because of their social status, their nationality, the way they are dressed, or just the way they appear. This just goes to show all of us how much we have to learn from God and each other about loving, reaching, and including people who are different to ourselves. And that includes me. So we have to agree with God's mind and acknowledge that our hearts and our mindsets have to be in line with his. You see, when you become a Christian, you get a new spiritual identity. But your old mindset needs renewing. The old prejudices, the hurts, the fears, the hostilities need to be replaced by God's truth and love. And sometimes we don't even know we have those prejudices until we are confronted with God's truth. But we can allow God to change us. The fact is that it's a battle. There's a battle going on in our mind all the time between the world's value system and the truth of God. If we are to be intentional about diversity and Christ-likeness, we must be intentional about our ongoing transformation and renewal. The process of renewal, it's a journey. No matter how long we've been Christians, none of us have arrived at perfection. We keep on going in bringing ourselves before God. God tells us that we should present our bodies, that is, our whole active lives, as a living sacrifice of worship. And in order for that to happen, our minds must be renewed. So that means that our role is not passive. It is active with God. Ephesians 4, 21 to 30, summarizes what I've just said. It says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, 
truly righteous and holy. Through prayer and reading the Bible, we acknowledge that his ways are above our ways and that we are dependent on him in every aspect of our lives. As the Holy Spirit changes us, our transformed hearts are then marked by humility. As we live in unity with those in the church and outside of it. And this leads to my third point. Walk in humility. Humility is the key to having intimacy with God and walking in love and unity with others. And it serves, <clears throat> excuse me, it serves as a root of growth in our, in our lives as believers. You see, God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. It's, it's pretty sobering. But seeing God in his holiness and seeing ourselves in need, in, in, in need of his grace is critical for growing in our relationship with God and growing in how we treat other people. So what does humility look like? Humility is completely dependent on God, living in obedience and knowing that everything comes from him. This means that we place a high priority on praying as we know that we need God. Humility doesn't have a high opinion of itself or think it's better than anybody else. Humility acknowledges that God's wisdom and his direction is far above our own and we choose to obey it even though we don't understand. The author C.S. Lewis gives a really helpful illustration of a, of a humble person. He says this, The thing that we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Thinking of myself less. It's thinking of God first and then other people. But on the other hand, pride is the opposite of humility and undermines diversity because it's self-absorbing and rejects God's wisdom. Pride prevents authenticity and unity in a relationship because pride looks after itself. By nature, it is competitive, and that is at the heart of pride. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Pride is the pleasure of being more than the next person, and it is so good at disguising itself and lurking away in our hearts. It causes us to look out for our own needs and our own comforts rather than the servant heart of humility. But pride is a universal human problem. All of us have it in some degree because we have fallen short, and that is why we need Jesus. So God implores us to count others as more significant and humbly look out for the interests of others. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. And the Bible gives us lots of input about how we are to relate to each other in humility as the body of Christ. And here are a few. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. 
Honor one another. Accept one another. Have fellowship with one another. Offer hospitality to one another. And carry one another's burdens. It's this kind of humility that facilitates unity in our diversity. I was talking to my friend Flora recently, who some of us might know has gone through a real battle with her immigration into this country, and she recently won her court case and has been provided with a flat here in Hull. Thank you, Jesus. It was amazing to see our church mobilize in helping her furnish and paint her flat. Someone you know, bought her a bed, a sofa, and all the other things that she needed in her flat. It was amazing. Brothers and sisters in Christ of all different cultural backgrounds and social backgrounds rallied around her to support her. One of her friends was there helping too, one of her non-Christian friends, and he marveled at all the support she was getting and all the unity he was seeing before his eyes. And he was asking, you know, why, why is this happening? Why are, they, why are they doing this? And she replied, it's because of the love of Christ. And in fact, one of her other friends was so stunned that she wanted to come to church to see for herself. As we outwork our love and worship for God through our unity in diversity, it is a testimony to the world. It's a testimony of what the unity of the body of Christ actually looks like. We're called to love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves, instead of letting pride and fear rule us. And this leads to my final point. Walk in love. We're called to love those of all backgrounds who don't know God as well as our fellow believers. In the book of Matthew, Jesus was asked what the most important commandment of Moses was. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That line for me is just pretty epic. The entire law and all the commandments of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. As we learned earlier, we are to present our whole lives to God, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our love for God is then demonstrated in our love for other people. So what we would want for ourselves, we also want for our neighbor. And, this, and in this love, we see people standing up for others for justice and helping others and praying for others. In contrast, fear is unwilling to share space with peace, generosity, confidence, or friendliness. What if love and not fear was our default reaction to difference? It is in love that we break down barriers and connect with those who are different to us. How are we to reach people from different backgrounds and cultures if we don't all actually step out? See, God has chosen to outwork his purpose through us to reach all people. We are his hands and feet. In the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle explains it like this. He says, "'For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.'" But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. We're called to tell all people from all backgrounds about Jesus, but all kinds of fear stops us. For example, fear of rejection, fear of discomfort, or fear of what other people might think or say. If fear is ruling us instead of his love, we are not living in the fullness of his love, and we can't cross those barriers and share the good news of Jesus with others. The book of Colossians tells us that we are to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So what does that look like? I've got some simple ideas. First one, being friendly. You know, actually talking to people. I know that's quite hard sometimes. Actually talking to people. I live in a predominantly white British area, and I am often the only black person that I see. So my intentionality is when I'm going to school in the morning and taking my little girl to school, I, I say good morning to people. You know, and they, they respond. They're like, oh, good morning. And it's really nice. It just provides that moment of connection with people who are different. It's just looking for opportunities to chat to people. So in the supermarket, I have come, I've had some great random chats. My growth group know about my random chats in the supermarket, you know, about recipes, about the telly, you name it. It just gives us the opportunity to connect with different people. But we have to be open and alert to those opportunities. If we're closed off, we don't see them. My next point is about being interested, just being interested. Do we, do we know our neighbors' names? Do we take time to find out about them and their lives? Do we make the effort to pronounce different names correctly? These simple things make a difference. The next one is about seeking to understand before being understood. Do you talk more than listen? And the last one about being helpful, just looking out for opportunities to help people. Those make a difference. This applies to all of us, regardless of background. You may be a Christian who has come to the UK from another country. You too are called to share your faith cross-culturally as well. There are people in your community who don't know Jesus and God might have sent you to them. Likewise, in the body of Christ, as we live in God, we grow in love for each other and fear is expelled. 1 John 4, 17-19 says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. If we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God we cannot see? Quite challenging. And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. See, God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die for us. And we love each other because God loved us first. As God's love is made more and more complete in us, we become more like Christ. And this is the purpose of our transformation 
to be Christ-like. Love for God and love for others can't be separated. If we truly love God, we will also love people. And if we truly love people, we also love God. As we walk in humility and love towards others, we become more intentional about diversity, both in the church and outside of it. Jesus broke down cultural and social barriers in his ministry on earth. And like him, we'll be alert to opportunities to reach different people, extending friendship to those who are different to us. So finally, the result of feeling excluded or mistreated because you're different is rejection. And sometimes in the biggest and warmest and friendliest churches, there are people who feel rejected. Others may feel rejected in the community where they live or through experiences that they've had. I know something of what that feels like. It damages our confidence, our sense of self-worth, and it undermines our relationships in many, many ways. It sometimes causes us to retreat and reject relationships to protect ourselves instead of living in the acceptance and freedom of God's truth. Some of us are carrying around hurts, bitterness, offense, and grudges, and unforgiveness. And living in this way means that you're not living in the freedom God wants you to. Forgiveness leads to life, and unforgiveness imprisons us. It steals life. Forgiveness is a a two-way street. We forgive those who have hurt us, and God forgives us too. Luke 6.37 says, Forgive and you will be forgiven. A condition to receiving forgiveness is forgiving others. Forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. It's a choice you make, not because you feel like it, but out of obedience and your love for God. It reconciles us to God and to others, and it's critical for our unity. So, As we open up our hearts to God's love, we experience his healing and his restoration. For some of us, we need to repent for prejudices that we have and commit to allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. Can the worship team come up, please? Just great to have you guys.